Welcome to the Business Storyteller Podcast by PictoChart. This is a series of conversations with inspiring leaders and entrepreneurs to share their knowledge and experience in storytelling for their business. If you're curious to learn how the art of storytelling can make an impact on your business and brands, the Business Storyteller Podcast is for you. I'm Ching, the CEO of PictoChart, the company that is behind the Business Storyteller Summit. I am honored to be hosting Melissa Perry for this fireside chat. Melissa is the CEO of Products Labs, a product management consultancy, and the author of Escaping the Built Trap. I first sent her a note last year, some, sometime last year, and it's quite rare for me to get in touch with an author of a book um, that I read, but there were just so many things that I resonated with. She believes that the key to creating great products is growing great product leaders, something that I also totally resonate with. And today, Melissa has had over 3,500 students. So one might think, what does storytelling have to do with product? It appears that it will be quite a lot of good ground for us to cover today. And I'm excited to get on this chat together with Melissa. So Melissa, thank you again for joining us at the Business Storyteller Summit. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. Okay, now we would like to hear a little bit more about the story behind, you know, the book Escaping the Built Trap, um, especially for the audience uh, that has not read the book yet. So what got you to like write it? Yeah, um, so when I started off as a, a product manager, I was really working in a very waterfall fashion where I was taking all the requirements and that's how I learned how to do it. Like go get the requirements from the business team, put them into nice spec docs, figure out what we're gonna build and then ship them off to the engineers. And as I progressed in that career, I started working at more startups. Um, and there I started learning about things like agile and lead startup and testing your ideas and having hypotheses beforehand. So I started doing a lot of um, you know, rapid experimentation and really just embodying the whole, do we know if this is the right thing to build, right? Let's not take it for granted. Let's actually think about what's the right thing to build. And for me, that made so much sense because I, I I was like, yeah, how, how do we know if this is even right, if we're not going to test it, if we're not going to talk to our customers, if we're just going to make it up internally. And I saw a lot of um, ideas that I had made fail because of that. Mm -hmm. So I started working that way and I found like a lot of really good success in it. Um, and once I left uh, the company that I was working at, I went to another company and I realized like, that's not common. That way of thinking about like, hey, testing your ideas before you actually build it, de-risking them you know, trying to figure out what's the right thing to build. A lot of companies just don't operate that way. And um, I ended up leaving um, my, my full-time job there and freelancing with a lot of companies and consulting with them through product management. And the more and more I got pulled into it, the more I saw that this just wasn't a common way of thinking. And that's really what sparked um, escaping the build trap because I saw started to see this pattern with companies where they would just build, 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 and then ship and then never go back and actually see if it was the right thing to build. Uh, and I started calling that the build trap. And as soon as I said those words or described it, people were like, yes, that's us, right? Like it started to really resonate. Um, so for the last couple of years, I've been really, you know, dedicating my, my consulting and what I do with teams and how I teach to figuring out how to get people out of it. Mm -hmm. So that, that's like, it started with a spark too about, it's interesting because it morphed along the years. Like I, I've been working on this for I want to say like, I, it took me about three years to write it, but I came up with the idea about a year before that. 
And originally I had thought, hey, this is just because of the way that we adopt agile and scrum practices. It's a lot of teams that don't get product management, a lot of people coming in from the business and learning this job. Um, and scrum really just teaches you how to build the things, but they don't teach you if you're building the right thing, like how to actually evaluate that. So I said, easy fix. Let's go in, train all the teams, you know, teach them product management. Um, I started Product Institute because of that, which is really an online class for product managers. And I was like, this is it, right? Like we just trained the teams and that's what people wanted me to get in there for. And as I got more into that, I found that it's not just that, it's, it's the entire structure and the way that we actually think about product management in organizations that build software. So even software, pure software companies get stuck in this trap. A lot of people go, oh, it's banks, it's, it's companies that just uh, you know, are older, they don't really get software. And that's, not the, that's really not the fact. It's the way that we build leadership teams. It's the way that we think about product management in these organizations that it's both a business and technology function. It's not just a technology function. And you see a lot of people push it into IT technology and assign it to that role there. And that's how they get stuck in the build trap. So it expanded from just let's do good product management processes to how do we build a good product management strategy? How does that really help our business? How do we see that as a core piece of it? And then how do we build operations around that? So um, I was leading a transformation at a company of 5,000 people when we were implementing all these different pieces to get out of the build trap and really testing it and learning myself about what was working. And then from there, we found that it applied to a lot of other companies. So that's kind of how the book came about, how, how that theory came about. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's all about building the right thing. How do we get out of this whole process of just building yeah. and shipping, never really measuring? Yeah. And, and what would be some like telltale signs, you know, basically uh, to a company that's still ignorant, still, you know, in the build track, um, what would make them like, you know, kind of realize that they're actually in the build track? Um, it's really asking yourself, what is success? I find I, I go into organizations and one of the first questions I, I do and what I, what I go around the organizations and ask, I go to leaders and I say, what's the most important thing you could be doing, right? Okay, how do you know that's gonna be successful when you finish it? Like, what are you measuring? Um, sometimes they have uh, very concrete measurements, which is like, we're going to make more money. We're going to make more of this. Uh, so I take that and then I go down the organization all the way to the teams. And I ask everybody at each level, the same thing to see if the stories line up. And what you typically find is that the teams are telling a different story than the leadership and they're not really meeting in the middle. There's no, there's no way of how do we get from A to B right with this, with this connection. So the teams will be like, moving nonstop, like they're so busy, they're, they're coding, they're shipping, they're doing so many things, right? Like everybody's panicking because they're like, we have to get this out. And you're like, okay, cool. When you do get it out, how do you know it's successful? Like what's your success metrics? And there's usually none. There's no, no like, hey, once we ship this from the team, it will lead to this, it'll lead to that, and we'll go here. Um, and because those things don't line up, you could start to see that, you know, the teams are busy, but the things that they're doing, they may not get the same results that the leadership actually wants from it. And there's usually a missing piece of strategy in the middle there. So that's yeah. definitely one, one of it, just like seeing that stories or why we're doing the things that we're doing don't line up. Um, and then also the success metrics. Like if you just ask people, how do you know will this be successful? They can't really tell you. They'll, they'll be like, when we ship it. And you're like, no, not how you'll be successful. How do you know this product was successful? Um, and there's usually not measurements around there. Or the measurements don't make sense. Yeah. And the next question would have been like, well, then how do teams get out of it? So you seem to concentrate a lot on like, you know, the product um, managers as well as like all, all the way up to like the chief product officer. 
Um, and, and also I think in your book, like you laid out lots, <laughs> lots and lots of like different areas, um, mm -hmm. like from aligning alignment around like a roadmap and things like that. But uh, is, yeah, is there something that you could say like to kind of summarize like how, like what companies need to start thinking about? You mentioned success metrics. Um, yeah, you mentioned asking yourself whether or not, you know, how do you know whether or not you'll be successful? Would there be mm -hmm. something else like that would help companies to like start to think about how do I even get out of this? <laughs> yeah, um, I think, so the way that I break it down in the book and the way that uh, we've done through consulting is thinking about it in three parts, right? There's strategy. So you need to understand where you're going and how you're going to get there throughout the organization. So the way that you fix your strategy is by looking at what you want to achieve, saying, is it, is it really telling a great story where it's like, I understand how we're going to get growth coming from here to there. Um, and then does that make sense all the way throughout the organization so that everybody can tell the same story up and down, right? Like as a product manager, I know why I'm building this. I know how it contributes to the business metrics at the top. Um, as a salesperson, same thing as a marketing person, right? Like we're all speaking the same language. We're all telling that story from a strategy, strategic perspective. And we're not trying to do too many things at once. I think that's a huge part mm -hmm. that really gets us into the build trap is a lack of focus. We start to think that the quantity of the features that we build is better than the quality of the features, right? And it's just like, oh, we can do that, we can do that. And we just start building teams, we get really big teams, and then we just give them stuff to keep them busy rather than strategically aligning them to what's going to make a big push. Mm -hmm. So I think focusing on the strategy, making sure that tells a story, making sure it's cohesive. Like I tell, tell people, I tell the leaders that I work with in these organizations, like these CEOs, they usually want to do a million things. And I'm like, you have to pick three, like pick three ways that you can grow. <laughs> or that you can tackle, right? Yeah. And that's it. And they're like, but but we have 5,000 people. I'm like, yeah, but if you have 5,000 people and you give them 5,000 things at your level, that turns into 100,000 things at their level. So like, what are your three big objectives? And do not, like, they should be business focused. They should not be like feature focused, right? Choose yeah. those and let's break them down because I think that tells the whole organization which way we're going. Mm -hmm. So strategy is a huge piece of it. And I see strategy really make or break a lot of product teams and the, their ability to focus and really make a meaningful push. Mm -hmm. um, the other piece of it we say is like your processes and um, the way that you go about validating your organization. So that's about um, really making sure that you're testing your ideas, you are really questioning why you're building what you're building, you're finding out what the right ideas are and you're baking discovery processes into the way that you operate. So that's a big piece of um, product managers going out and saying like, hey, I'm going to talk to customers. I'm going to learn what their problems are. I'm going to try little things, little experiments and prototypes and really see if it works before we commit to building this massive thing. Mm -hmm. So that's another piece that really needs to align. And you, you prove your strategy through experimentation. Like that, that goes hand in hand right there. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece is having good operations. So making sure the teams can make decisions. So we always want to talk about autonomous teams. We want to talk about, uh, you know, letting the product managers and their teams like make decisions. And the only way to do that is to have a cohesive strategy, but then also have the data that they need to make decisions. So product operations is all about how do I get the data that I need or the access to information that I need in order to make concrete decisions on a repeatable basis. So that could be aggregating, um, you know, product data or usage data or customer insights, but it's really about enabling the team to get what they need to be able to make decisions. Totally. And um, since we talked and touched upon like strategy itself, what are some common mistakes that you often see product leaders do that make them, you know, fail to kind of like get by on 
whether it's a strategy itself or things like artifacts, like um, the, the product roadmap. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the roadmap, like the, I think people misinterpret roadmaps. They, they think of them as Gantt charts, right? Like a way to lay out things. And I think times are definitely a component of roadmap. So I'm not saying get rid of time, but the way that you communicate a roadmap, like it's a, it's a communication tool at the end of the day. That's all a roadmap is. Mm -hmm. And you have to have a strategy behind that communication to, to make it make sense, right? To tell that story of what's going to happen. So what I see with a lot of product leaders is that instead of focusing on how to tell the big story about how the organization gets from point A to point B and how we manifest that through our software and digital products, um, instead they start to jump into the feature level discussions with the teams and then try to bring that back to the leadership and start to talk about it. So they think of strategy as like, first we're going to release this feature, then we'll release that feature, then we'll do this. Instead of, hey, as an organization, let's say we wanna grow our revenue 10 times in three years, right? Like, you know, we're really making this big push. We want to double our revenue, you know, first, then we want to really grow. We're trying to get to an IPO. Strategy is about figuring out how are you going to do that? Are you going to grow through um, cross-selling products? Are you going to grow through more acquisition channels? Um, if you are going to do more acquisition channels, where are you going to target people? Are you going to do it geographically? Are you going to um, expand, uh, you know, partner with people to bring in more, more clients? Are you going to, um, if you're not going to expand that way and do acquisition focused, are you going to reduce your costs? If you reduce your costs, are you going to streamline internal tools? Are you going to um, buy something instead of, you know, building it yourself? Um, or if you're going to increase your revenue, are you going to like cross sell and upsell? Like, are you going to make new software products that you can get more revenue from your existing customers with, right? It starts at that level of conversation and then it goes, okay, what can we do as an organization, right? It's not about building all these features. It's about if that's our path, then with our current digital products, with our current software strategies and services, if you have those two, how do we combine to make an offering that will move us that way? Mm -hmm. And that's the missing middle piece that's usually not there from product leaders. I always call it, I call it the missing middle because it's like mm -hmm. you go into these features and it's like, hey, tomorrow we're going to we're going to allow people to like upload a CSV and then go, and we're going to grow revenue 10 times. Like there's no, no <laughs> uploading a CSV yeah. going to help you grow revenue 10 times. Yeah. Um, and it's the product leader's responsibility mm -hmm. to connect those dots. So instead of, you know, being down here on the release cycle of, uh, you know, a feature development, you got to be up here at the, where is this product vision manifesting and how do I grow my digital products to help move the business forward. And that's really where the product leaders need to come in and focus when it comes to strategy. Yeah. And do you think like storytelling is something that, you know, um, product managers, and I've noticed this, like with really great product leaders, um, they're very good at connecting the dots. And like you said, you know, getting from that high level, like strategy all the way down to something that's more granular and uh, connecting it, like to say, this is how that uploading CSV, you know, would help us make more money. Um, but do you see storytelling to be a skill that's quite necessary or would it be more like just connect the dots, find a way to like communicate that, you know, over um, to the different teams and, and help them, you know, in terms of like getting by and understanding the why behind what, what they're actually building. Um, like, yeah, have you, have you seen that storytelling was actually like quite crucial in that respect? It's one, I will say storytelling is one of the make or break things for great product managers. I think oh. it's, 
the thing that will differentiate a great product leader from like an okay product leader. And it's also the thing that I see hold people back from being, getting those positions that they want as chief product officers, right? A lot of times they've done the work, they know what they're doing, but they can't tell their story. Um, So I think every level of product management, it's so important for storytelling. I come in, I came into an organization a couple of years ago when I, when I led the transformation and the, CTO, I asked him, you know, tell me about the product managers. What are, what are you feeling? Like what, what's wrong? Like what, what are you seeing them not do that you'd like them to do? He's like, they're not forward thinking. They're not like really planning out in advance. They're stuck in a reactive mode that's going, you know, what are we doing right now? And then you go to the product managers and you talk to them and they're like overwhelmed with the work they're doing, but they also don't know how to tell that story. They're like, they're like, I do have a plan. Like, I, I, I think we should be building those things. And I'm like, okay, this is what you should be presenting in your roadmap meetings, right? This is what you should be presenting to your leadership. So how do we start to craft a narrative about what are the problems you're solving, how it's going to help achieve the goals? You know, this is the right thing to build what we actually did so that you can go and present to leadership and they'll feel confident in your direction. And I think that's a big issue with a lot of organizations. Um, the product managers always tell me, our uh, leadership does not trust me. They don't trust me. They don't give me the, they don't give me the room to like do the things I need to do. They don't trust me. They just tell me what to do. I go to the leaders and the leaders are like, I want them to come to me and tell me what my options are, but they're not doing it. And if they're not going to come to me and tell me what my options are, or what they think we should be doing, I think they don't know. So I'm going to tell them what to do. And that's the whole like gap in storytelling. Like we have a and you see this everywhere. You see this at larger organizations too, with boards and executives and stuff like that. But it's, you know, it starts from the product management perspective. I think it's about telling what your strategy is, communicating it and getting ahead of your leaders because then they can evaluate it and give you feedback rather than just dictating what to do. And then as you get up into the leadership level, it's, it's a similar deal. You learn those skills as a product manager and then great product managers usually make it to leadership level because they're getting ahead. They're presenting the ideas. They're seen as more forward thinking. They're seen as pulling that story together. Mm-hmm. So I think at every level of the organization, it, it makes a lot of sense and it, it's a critical skill for product managers. I also think that it's about um, really tailoring that story to the right audience. I, I've seen a lot of people get in front of the CEO and they're like, great, I'm in front of the CEO. Fantastic. I start to talk to these people. Great. And then they tell a story about these like super nitty gritty technical implementation details of what they're building. And the CEO is just like snooze, right? Like, cause they have no idea. They're like, I don't care about that. Right. Like I care about what this means for our business, right? How this is going to move us forward. And they're not connecting the dots from, uh, from a story perspective on like how that CSV is going to help them increase, you know, revenue. So that's like tailoring your story to the right audience, I think is a huge part of being a successful product manager. And I also think that um, it, it's, it's a skill that a lot of people just take for granted. They're like, as long as I could do the work and work with the engineers, tell my story to the engineers, we'll be okay. But it's not just that. It's about telling it sales and marketing and CEO and customers and like being able to tailor your story for every single person that's out there and think about what do they care about and how can I relate my story to what they care about so that they get excited about it. Yeah, I love, love, love that point. I mean, um, what you just said that it's a critical, you know, skill set, like it's underappreciated, I think. Like a, a lot of people think just, you know, the ability to, I don't know, crunch numbers, maybe, you know, some parts of like, you know, how to 
uh, focus on the discovery process and like talk to developers and they're done, but it's, I totally agree. And also in the book, I, I quite remember like seeing the roadmaps and they're, they're quite simple and visual, but then like the idea is like, how do you then craft the narrative so that it's, you know, tailored to each and every audience. And that's the, yeah, yeah I think that's definitely the part that um, a lot of like product managers don't quite get, but that's, it's so yeah. nice to like hear it from you. <laughs> with, the, with the roadmaps too, right? That's, that's a whole thing where we're like, okay, let's go build a roadmap. And everybody thinks, okay, you take a chunk of time, you write yeah. a name in it and you're like, there it is, right? But there's yeah. so much context behind it and such a story that you have to tell. So yeah. when we build roadmaps at organizations, almost every item that's on a roadmap has like a two-pager associated with it that explains like what we're actually doing and what's the strategy behind it and why we're doing it. And I think connecting those things from like, here's the item on a, on a visual, right? To here's why we're doing it is super important. But sometimes we just think about the act of getting it into a grid or a timeline, right? Yeah. Rather than what's the context behind those items on the timeline. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, and in it also, I mean, communicating up actually <laughs> in this case and with, uh, you know, with, with roadmaps and whatnot, there's also the other part, which is like communicating, let's say with the users and, you know, the discovery, the whole discovery process. And I, I know when possible, like teams should try to jump on um, to, you know, be, be on those calls, but it's not always very easy to take all of the, um, what the insights that has been, you know, that have come up out of those calls and then like communicating them back um, towards the teams to like get alignment. Like what do you, yeah, how do you usually recommend like getting these user stories or customer, you know, stories back to the teams um, as, as, especially as a product manager that's involved? Yeah, I think um, it's important to start to, to show people why people are doing that. So we, what we've done is a technique of a combination of recording some of the, the, you know, the interviews, cutting out the snippets that are really important so that people can see it firsthand yeah. and start to understand there and yeah. synthesizing the insights into a narrative, right? About here's our customers, here's what they experienced, here's how we talk about it. Um, one of the things that we would do with our user researcher, her name's Michelle um, at Products Labs is uh, for our clients, we would do deep insight sprints for them a lot. Sometimes they just don't have enough people who know how to interview their customers. They don't know how to take the insights and turn it into something actionable. So if we were doing any roadmaps for our customers, um, Michelle would do a deep insight sprint and she'd line up something like 30 customers in you know, two weeks or three weeks, depending on how many, uh, interview them and take like the snippets of the interviews that were most important to illustrate the big problem points that they would have synthesize that into a document that was like, okay, here's your users, here's their persona, here's where they care about, here's their needs. Now let's drill into each need and start to talk about um, where people feel that, what's the context around it, what's not working for them right now. And she would take little tiny pieces of video, you know, a minute, two minutes, right? And put them in there so you could just drill into what's happening there. And that was really powerful because you'd show that to CEOs and they'd be like, oh, okay. Like I hear it firsthand. You show that to developers and they're like, oh, I'm watching them use something and they're not getting it. Okay, that's why like this is not working. Um, and I think having that firsthand story from them yeah. makes a big difference uh, yeah. when you can see customers do it, but then also putting the context around it. So it's not just like, hey, I had to sit through 10 hours of interviews to get this, right? Like getting right to the point, showing somebody experiencing pain. I think that really um, resonates very well. Okay, that's, that's a great tip and something that we've begun trying as well. So it's um, when a product manager or a user researcher uh, is in charge of like integrating that data and then passing it on, like you lose, like you said, a lot of the context, right? Because you don't hear it directly from the users. So that's a, that's a really good tip. 
Now, I'm like, um, we're also curious about, you know, how many product managers, for example, struggle to convince their CEOs or the executive um, team to shift the focus from like sales or marketing led uh, organization to something that's more product led. Now, that's obviously quite a big discussion. It's like, you know, around how like the, the design of a, a company almost like an organization and its strategy, but how would one best approach um, such a shift? when, you know, and, and they clearly see the need or um, like to start thinking uh, from a more product-led yeah, direction. Yeah, so so there's there's a double-edged sword to this. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what I advise teams to do first and then let's talk about should you actually do it. So okay. um, I get this question all the time where product managers are like, my CEO doesn't get it, my leadership team doesn't get it, my sales doesn't get it. Um, and the first thing I think you can do, it's it's hard to change an entire culture of an organization. Let's just sit, like start there. Yeah. And one person is not going to be able to do it as a team member, right? It's going to take a big movement. It's going to take a lot of people wanting to do it and embracing it. Yeah. But one thing that I've seen work really, really well for um, people who want to start approaching this is to ask, um, ask before you ship anything to your leaders, to everybody, what do we think will happen when we ship this? Mm-hmm. What are we going to achieve? What business metrics will we hit? What product metrics will we hit? Like, if we ship this thing, I'm not saying we won't, we're gonna ship it. We know it's on the roadmap, it's halfway done, we're gonna do it. What do we think will happen? And just writing that down, getting to concrete metrics, making sure they're outcomes associated, and then ship it and see if it actually measured up. And then you have a conversation about, all right, are we building the right things? And that's my biggest advice for anybody on a team who's like, oh, this feels overwhelming, where do I start? Because that's something you can control, um, and then you'll start a dialogue because if you don't hit those metrics, mm-hmm. people start to go, oh, why are we doing that? What about these other ones? Are those not going to hit the metrics too? Like what's happening here? And it starts people questioning. And I think that's that's the best place to start is just start questioning why you're doing the things that you're doing, but not in an obnoxious way, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody can argue with just putting a metric down and saying, yeah, we think this will happen. And be like, okay, cool. Write it down, walk away, and then measure it at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, the where I see people struggle with making big, um, big pushes and changing orgs and culture is like when they start getting super demanding and not meeting people where they are. And I will say I used to be that person. <laughs> like I would walk into organizations and you know, I like as a full-time employee and be like, you don't get it, like you're just not doing it right. And like no CEO and no leader wants to hear that they're not doing it right. Like they're gonna dismiss you and be like, what do you know? Right. So I, I think there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, attitude around that. And I, I see a lot of people try to approach it that way and get very dismissive and you have to meet people where they are. So a lot of people learned how to do their job in a certain way and with a product led organization or a product led culture, that's probably very different than the way that they learned to do their job. So it's uncomfortable. And if you want to bring people into a place where they feel comfortable, you take small steps to start changing minds and changing attitudes and you meet them where they are. Like you, you say, if it's a CEO, you start talking to them about how do they know they're gonna get that much revenue? How is the strategy really working? And relating the choices that you make back to that, right? So, so helping them see that the thing you're building might not help them get the outcomes that they want. And then they'll start listening. They'll be like, oh, interesting. How do we, how do we fix that, right? And you yeah. come with the answers, right? Rather than a bunch of problems that you want them to fix. Yeah. Uh, and I see a lot of people, argue instead and say they should just fix it 
but that's not the case. So if you want to lead a revolution in your organization to get people to move to this, you got to start with small little questions that make people just, you know, start to think, right? Rather than saying, yeah. oh, we're going to blow it all up and go this way. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side of it, if we're talking about changing organizations, I always, I always tell people, I'm like, there's two paths. And I took the path of being a change agent and helping people through transformations. So that's a full-time job. Yeah. And there's the other path of being a product manager. So I asked them, do you want to go and be an amazing product manager or do you want to be a change agent and help transform somewhere? Because it's hard to do both unless you're in a leadership position. If you're a chief product officer, that's where you should be. That, that helps you do it. But if you're a team member on a, you know, on a scrum team or on a development team, uh, you can start by chipping away and asking those questions to see if you make the shift. But when you start hitting your head against the wall and feel like you can't do great work, I tell them, you know, maybe you should start looking for an organization that gets it a little bit more because you're not going to be able to practice your craft of product management well in these organizations that don't get it. And I do think there's going to come a time in the next couple of years where there will be organizations who really get it and yeah. there's going to be organizations who don't. And there are today, yeah. but there's going to be a lot more that do get it. And I see a lot of leaders making the strides to really build those organizations today. Um, there's going to be fewer who don't, and there's going to be a lot more opportunities for people at the places that do. So I think about it as, you know, that path too. And that's my recommendation. It's like, do you really want to take on changing an organization? And is the organization ready to change? Because like, even I can't help organizations that are ready yeah. to change. Like I, I won't take those jobs. I say no, because I'm just going to beat my head against the wall and get mad at you. And it's like, no, it's, it's not worth it. Right. But if you are ready to change and there's reception there and you feel like you're making progress, that's a great place to stay because you can watch it change. But if it's not, you're beating your head against the wall. You know, there's other places out there that do get it. I, I love how honest and like pragmatic you're being <laughs> because I, I think like some of the other advice that um, people might have given would be like, well, just do your best to be that like, you know, change agent. But I, yeah. I also think you're totally right. Like there, there um, like you said, it's a, it's a full-time job, you know, maybe you're taking on like organizational design or um, HR on the site, you know, like while while also running a job as a product manager, and you're not going to be good at doing both. But that's very refreshing to hear. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, sorry. I also think it's like a it's a wake up call for leaders, right? Where you know, if you're not listening to how people want to work, if you're not seeing the value in this, uh, you will lose people. And I, I tell yeah. I tell people that frequently when I help organizations through a transformation or coach yeah. leaders, I'm like. You have to change if you want your people to change. Uh, I've been brought into so many organizations where the leaders are like, just go fix my teams. And I'm like, no, because if they don't see you responding and being receptive and enforcing it and backing them up, they will learn these new skills. And I guarantee you, they'll go find a new job with their new skills. Like, like yeah. it doesn't work that way. You have to be invested as well. You have to be a part of the solution. Yeah. Um, and I think if that's a big part, part of it too. I love it. I, I love it that you don't just, you know, like blindly say, okay, go be the change agent, be patient, you know, while waiting yeah. for the transformation. But you're totally right that um, some, a, a lot of times, and oftentimes, I think with uh, like building a product, the philosophy or the, the values that's behind it, it's a lot of it has to do with the leadership um, of the company. So good one. And the other one that we kind of like internally, I think like, uh, you know, questions that we, uh, we we had was actually around onboarding because that's a, a great first opportunity that the company gets to present itself like a story, you know, apart from the, of course, the, the website, uh, marketing materials, et cetera, like 
um, to tell the product story and build, you know, an emotional connection. So like wanted to hear what are some more of the most important aspects of a good, you know, onboarding, especially for a tech product or something that's in SaaS. Yeah, are we talking about onboarding employees or onboarding uh, users into the product? Users, users, sorry. Yeah, yeah I, I think with um, onboarding, this is onboarding to me is such a fascinating topic and I really love products that do amazing onboarding because I've also worked in places that have not and the amount of money that you spend on training people and when it's all like a user experience problem is wild. Uh, so, so I'm like, you, if you fix that, you'll have, you'll have a decent product and you'll introduce people to your product, like you said. Um, my tips for onboarding are always, you know, meet the user where they are and help them help them understand what they're trying to achieve. So start from a perspective of not like, I, I hate, I honestly hate tutorials. Like I hate when I get into a product mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, this tool is over here, this tool is over there. And that's, so you're like, cool, but that's, I don't care about the tools. I want to accomplish this thing. So yeah. how do you tell the, how do you help the user tell their story, right? Let's say that part um, on onboarding. So help. They come in, what do they want to accomplish? What's the first thing they can do, right? I think moving your onboarding around helping them do that is key. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead class, right, on how to do stuff. Like I've worked with healthcare companies that have um, put people through training for like weeks to get them to use their software products when a lot of times it's just, you know, they, they know how to use basic tools like that. It's just more about teaching them how to um, get what they need into their system. And a lot of it's just user experience problems. So here, here's, here's the, the thing about all of onboarding. If you need a wild training system or you have onboarding problems, it's almost always a UX problem. It's almost always that you are not designing your UX flows. You are not designing the journey for the user to get into that platform in a way that they can appreciate. And it's usually too complicated to use. People don't know how to get started and uh, they can't accomplish the things that they want to do. And that's almost always a design and user experience problem. And those are all fixable things. So it's like, you don't need 7,000 videos on YouTube about how to use these things. It's about making sure that people can get in, get what they need to get done and understand it in a human language that's not complicated to figure out where everything is. Mm, great, that's, a, that's also a really helpful one I think to reduce as much like friction as possible like you know from a a user experience like perspective and like you said helping them to taste like the success of their um yeah of of what they came on um to the you know to the platform or to the app to accomplish so that's Mm -hmm. a really good one now I have like two last like kind of you know bonus questions um one is from our attendees and um the question is uh, this person is a sales manager. So how can you keep clients engaged when you're not sure whether what they want can actually be achieved by the product team? Yeah, I'd say one big thing is get the product team involved in that early, right? Like if, if you're not sure if the product team can do it, like bring them in. And what we should all be doing with sales and product in that moment is trying to figure out what is the problem that the customer has? How do we have the ability to solve it now? If not, um, does the ability to solve it, like if we build something and solve it, does that align with our strategy? Mm-hmm. So if the customer, if you can't build uh, what the customer wants, right, and it doesn't align with your strategy, that's not a good customer for you. You should just say bye. It's not about closing every single deal. It's about closing the deals that are right for you. One of the biggest issues I see with SaaS companies um, today is that they turn almost into a like software shop where they're building stuff for the big clients that will never apply to the other clients. 
And that's the biggest thing that's going to stifle your growth. So you have to look, we call it sales debt um, when we start to look into the data and pull things out yeah. and you can quantify it. What's the cost of you building almost custom software for clients that doesn't align to your major strategy? And sometimes you see that those costs rack up like crazy. Mm -hmm. So I think first we have to say, is this client actually in a wheelhouse? Like, do we want to solve the problems for them? Mm -hmm. And then if we do solve the problems for them, can they apply to everybody else? If the answer is yes, I think we get sales and product together to start thinking through how we might do that. But you can use those potential customers as well for, um, for beta users, for alpha users. You can start to co-create with them and you can get them on board with it. I wouldn't say like, hey, we're gonna build this specially for you, um, but you want them to be a part of that. And that will usually engage people. I've, we've worked with a lot of potential clients that wanted something um, that we had on our roadmap. Sometimes they'll even pay to get it further up the roadmap. Um, and you're like, we're going to do this anyway. Okay. As long as it applies to other users and then you co-create with them and they're beta testers, right? And they, they yeah. use it first, they give you the things and then you can expand it to everybody else. I think the hard part to get out of, and this is another build trap symptom is you don't want to sell clients and you don't want to close clients on a software that will not apply to everybody else, right? And that's, that's how you get into be a custom dev shop. Now you're not a SaaS product. Now you're not a product, right? You're a services company. And that's where all your margins get screwed up. And it's not, it's not healthy to do that. You'll stifle your growth. So I think it's really stepping back and first saying, is this the right problem to solve? How do we get everybody involved in that? And do we actually want to solve it? And yeah. if not, cut the client loose. Say, we're not going that direction right now. Thank you very much. Um, we'll reach out to you if we do in the future. I think it takes quite some courage <laughs> for a salesperson to walk away from a deal. You know, like for the prop manager, I can imagine the conversation going pretty well. But um, for, for the salesperson who's like, well, I, I have to say no to this deal. So that's, um, but, but lots of, you know, lots of um, transfer of like knowledge. And I think understanding, mm -hmm. well, like a shared understanding around like what the product strategy would be, could be, yeah. Yeah, could be quite helpful. Yeah. And I think there's also like, um, I think a lot of companies don't set up sales for success, right? I, I think it's funny because sometimes we'll get into a war between product and sales where it's like product people are like, I hate salespeople. Salespeople are like, I hate the product people. They don't build stuff. It's like, no, we're all in like the same team. And um, instead of rewarding people on like closing every deal they possibly can, we should be rewarding people and closing the right deals that contribute more to our, our company, right? And get us further along. Um, and sometimes companies don't incentivize that way. So I totally understand if a salesperson, you know, being scared of saying no to a customer because that's their livelihood. That's how they make money. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great point because the, the entire compensation system right now, like as we know it, is usually, yeah, based on, you know, how many deals you can get. And so it's, it's very understandable that they're apprehensive about um, turning on the deal itself. But yeah, uh, yeah that's a great one. And um, the other one, which I know you've, you know, you, you talk about it like quite extensively in the, the book itself, but when hiring like product teams, what are some of the skill sets um, that you look for or, or that you recommend for, you know, your, your clients um, to be looking out for? Yeah, I think beyond just the, um, the roles of like, what can you do on a day-to-day -day basis as a product manager? I look for a couple traits. I look for people who are systems thinkers, which means that you're considering the whole, right? Like if I build this, how does it affect sales? If I build this, how does it affect our existing customers? How does it go into our strategy? How does it affect development? Will I have to do something with technology? Like you're thinking through all the implications of 
uh, your product and the impact it will have on your teams and your customers and your company. Mm -hmm. So I always look for that skill. Can you really think through all the things that this will affect? Um, I also look for people who are really focusing on problems. Like they just don't jump into solutions immediately. But also I want somebody who's decisive as well. So when somebody has enough information, um, even if it's not perfect, they're going to say, yeah, we should go that way. Because I think a lot of times we can get into a trap of um, reviewing data and reviewing data and trying to get to 100%. And you will never get to 100% confidence with a lot of these things. So you yep. need somebody who's like focusing on the problem, not necessarily on the solution, but also can just make a, make a decision once they have enough information to go somewhere, but being humble enough to say if it's the wrong decision and say, okay, let's go back and change it. So I got, I just like rolled a bunch of stuff into one of them, but like definitely problem thinkers, people who think through problems and empathize with problems. Um, they look for optionality and how they can actually solve those problems. So it's not just like, this is the only solution we can do. They're like, well, we could do this or we could do that. And then they have a way to evaluate those solutions in their heads. It doesn't even have to be software related. Like a lot of these questions I ask people who've never done product management before just about decisions they make in their own life or around certain choices, right? They have some kind of set way to evaluate it and then they can make a decision based on imperfect data to help move people forward if it comes down to that. So I think those traits really make a big difference. Um, I also look for people who tell a story hands down. So one of the big things that we do in, um, in our interviews is uh, get people to put together, like if they, they do a take-home assignment on, you know, what is the, what's this product or how you would improve it or anything like that. It's about how they tell the story of how they got into that decision, right? So these are the things I evaluated. This is who I think the customer is. Like, how do they put all those points down and tell something cohesive? Because to me, now I know if I give them anything in the organization, they're going to be able to present that and tell that story to their teams and to their customers and to the leadership. Um, and that's a big skill that I think product managers need, but um, maybe don't have. So all of these things are not necessarily about like grooming a backlog and working with developers and knowing yeah. products. Like, yeah. I think if you take some of those critical thinking skill sets that we just talked about and those traits um, and you teach people good product management techniques, right? Of just how to go through it. A lot of them succeed. Um, but where I see people struggle is if they don't want to be a decisive decision maker, they don't want to tell the story, if they're not good at it, if they don't, if that's not like what really makes them excited, um, you know, if they don't really consider optionality and think through problems, like the tool set that we have in product management is very teachable, but I think that way of thinking is the part that really makes or breaks uh, people's success. That's a great point. Um, like I, as a, uh, as a visual communication company for us, like apart from you know, like a couple of the things that you mentioned, you know, being decisive, uh, like we don't call it a systems like thinker, but like the ability to connect the dots and basically draw um, sound conclusions, basically. Uh, and, and like, you know, like you said, like problem focused and not like totally jumping into solutions all the time. Um, and storytelling is definitely one of the things that we, we look out for because I personally have seen what it what it does, you know, and how it changes the entire um, product organization as well, when a person's more able to like, um, yeah, just help to connect the dots basically. So these are all great stuff, uh, Melissa. It has been a real pleasure having you uh, and, and, you know, learning so much as well, like from this particular session. And I, I know, and I trust that the, the audience also likewise would um, do the same. Thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, this was fun. We hope you find this episode valuable. 
And if you haven't already, be sure to check out PictoChart for more visual storytelling tips. PictoChart is an easy to use visual content maker with more than 500 templates for you to choose from, ranging from infographic, presentation, report, social media graphic, and more. Join more than 8 million people who are already using PictoChart to craft amazing visual stories. That's all for today on the Business Storyteller Podcast, and we'll catch you at the next one.